Welcome everybody to the Storied Podcast. This week we're going to talk about hiking. You think this is a hunting podcast or a fishing podcast, but we're going to talk hiking. That is part of hunting and it's a fun part that we partook in. And this was a challenging hike um, and the story behind it. So we'll take it off like we always do, talking food, talking wild game. And we'll have Ruben uh, kick it off. Yeah. Good to be here today. Um, well, so yeah, the thing that uh, the big wild game meal of the last week for me had been, I had a bunch of people over because um, I'm moving. I'm moving out of my apartment in a week and a half here. So I've lived here for three years. This is the first place I lived, moving to Missoula. And I uh, invited some of my friends over that I've been friends with for a while and have uh, partied with in this here apartment a few times. And so we, I uh, got out of elk sirloin, the whole, the whole thing didn't cut it up, you know, the whole muscle. And, um, we just, we just grilled that bad boy. I, uh, you're meaning like the inner loins, like those. No, the sir. So this is a funny thing is I never know like what to call pieces of the hind quarter because it's you know it's all the beef cuts that everybody talks about but so this is that piece that muscle group that is on the hind quarter that's not the round but it straps across it that you get steaks out of that's sirloin i think i'm pretty yeah. sure someone can tell me if that's wrong but i'm pretty sure it's called the sirloin so it's like a three pound piece of meat and um obviously depending on the size of the animal you kill and i uh rubbed it down with some what did i use for that rub uh salt pepper um chili powder garlic powder brown sugar oregano um a little coriander and uh i think that's about it for the rub rubbed it down let it sit for about 12 hours and uh then we cooked it on the traeger um at about 350 for 45 minutes or so till it was about 120 internal let it sit there and rest. My friends made their own specialties uh, for the, the sides. Some uh, peanut peanut sauce, peanut oil. What is it? Peanut oil? Peanut peanut oil. Yeah. I don't know. That's the uh, seasoning. The peanut sauce oil, whatever. That seasoning uh, with some green beans and uh, broccoli and other veggies um, sauteed. And then uh, my other friends cooked some uh, oven potatoes, which were super good. And uh, we had a... Nice little uh, shindig here, eating some elk sirloin with the sides, and uh, sent off the apartment. So yeah. that was the wild game um, meal. To go back a little bit, what do you do? You do anything special on that trigger with like what wood you use, or are you putting a smoke on it? No, so I'm just grilling it on the trigger, but it's um. I mean, you can taste the smoke for sure in the Traeger. It's, uh, yeah. I w there's different pellets I have. There are two different types of pellets and one's for darker, you know, beef type meats. And then the other one is for like por poultry, pork and fish is a lighter like mesquite and some, uh, cherry and applewood, I think. And then the, okay. the darker one is like oak hickory or something. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, so and then uh, we didn't eat the whole thing, so I could I ate a couple more meals, just slices off of that with whatever, and just finish it up with some tacos because three pounds is a lot of meat, even for like six people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. But yeah, I guess I going into mine. Uh, 
I kind of did the same thing. I was working this weekend, um, and my sister and nephew, niece and nephew came out, brother-in-law, and I'm like, you know what? Come up. I'll have lunch ready for you. We can spend a little time. I can take my lunch break um, with you. I'll show you show you the hatchery and stuff. But So I did elk as well. My Wyoming elk. I did the elk shanks. It went from maybe a primo cut to now the worst cut <laughs> maybe <laughs> but yeah the like the end of the legs there all those super tendony areas where people just say throw it out or grind it either either or so i did a barbecue elk shank kind of recipe um and i put that salt and pepper uh browned it both sides put a little onion in there i like to char those onions kind of before i put them in a slow cooker and then put everything in the slow cooker, you know, onion, some garlic in there, barbecue sauce, beer, some mustard and apple cider vinegar and let that cook actually overnight. I did eight hours and then I brought it to work and actually cooked it on kind of low for a few more hours. But those shanks, I mean, you got to cook at least over eight to yeah. get all that really broken down. Yeah. But, but yeah, that was... It was a good little recipe, so. There you go. Yeah, we were talking about that a couple weeks ago where I cooked those elk shanks on high yeah. for like three and then two or and then two hours at like low and like total mm -hmm. five or six hours. Maybe it was opposite. Maybe I put it on low first and then finish it on high. But the length of time is super important because it's just about the time it takes to slowly break down that collagen and make it like into the meat and broth. Cause like you were saying, you need eight hours. Cause we talked about that and it was, it was good, but there was definitely pieces of like, uh, that, um, connective tissue that were like just gelatin on it instead of like totally yep. disintegrated. Yep. So here it says, uh, two twenty five at that temperature. And it's usually around that eight hour mark. Yeah. Is when those tendons and stuff starting to break down. And folks, if you, so you do, gotta go farther than yeah, that. Yeah, if you do slow cook stuff and you're checking that thing at like hour five, hour six, hour seven, you're like, it's still, you know, it's still not tender, it's still stuck together. It's like it's a it's a switch that flips. It's not like it gradual. <laughs> it's like you gotta keep it at that temperature for a long time and then in the last hour, that's when it just all falls apart. So don't get no. you know, don't get discouraged if you're like checking it and you're like, it's not working, it's just let it go. And you yeah, can always do it for longer. Don't don't under don't underdo it. Yeah. But I mean talking about slow cooker meals, I mean, it's always a good time to use the slow cooker when you're hunting. Have you been up to any hunting this last week? Yeah, I've been I've been doing a lot of hunting. I've been, <laughs> been doing a lot of hunting, uh, a lot of uh a few before work hunts, one after work hunt. I've been very tired. Um Daylight's getting longer, so I got time before and after work. We're not totally busy yet. So uh, I think that last week I hunted, ooh, Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, worked an eight-hour day in between, uh, and then Wednesday morning, and then uh, then went out, yeah, Saturday morning, Saturday all day, Sunday all day, yeah. Um. Yeah, so the, the once in the week was on my own, and um, 
I was on birds pretty much all the time. I roosted some the Monday night, got up Tuesday morning, hunted those birds. Um, didn't know the layout of the land. If they had, if I knew their little route, they would have, they were on public. I was behind them though, watching them and he was penned up. So I had him at 60 yards at one point, not going to shoot. Can't shoot at that range, but they went right to a different spot that I was thinking about setting up and I would have killed them if I was in that spot. And so then I went back that evening and, uh, they were just down on private and weren't kind of come up and they, all of a sudden there were like two times and 15 hens down there. Uh, I'm private. And so I was like, you're not getting that bird pulled off. <laughs> neither. No. So I, I, I decided to, you know, ditch that and drove to another spot Wednesday morning where I killed one last year and hunted them. And they weren't in there. Uh, they weren't in there the Saturday before I went. So it was a shot in the dark, but I was like, even though there's birds in this other place, there's no, I, the, there's just no pulling those those gobblers off those hens. And then who knows if the hens are even going to go on to public. I could be just listening to the gobbles 300 yards away all morning. So I went to the sire spot. Didn't know anything that was going on there. Walked in, knew the lay of the land though. I knew where they roost normally. So I walked in at light. I like to walk in at light when I don't know where the turkeys are. If you're roosted, then you go in real early, but if you don't know where they are, you want to walk in at light. Cause you want to listen when they start gobbling on the roost. And then you can make your play. Normally after they fly down, cause you don't want to get too close. Do you still like at light, you get to a certain point where you kind of think they are and then wait there before you attack or you just sit on the fringes and then go in after you hear that gobble? Yeah, I would try to get in close. I mean, on the roost, they feel pretty safe, but they can see and hear everything really well. So try to get to a spot where you know you're going to be able to hear them, but you're not going to be too close. Um, I kind of got there, you know, at dawn, it was barely visible light. And then I just kind of like, I'll hooted, listen, walk a hundred yards, listen, walk a hundred yards. And finally I could hear, I'm like, Oh, is that distant gobble? And then I'm, I'm like, that's where they would be roosted. And I just rounded a corner and boom. Yeah. There's three gobblers gobbling like crazy on the roost. And, um, it's amazing how sound works too, because this is not a mountainous area. This is a river bottom area I was hunting and you can't hear them very far in there, honestly. It's all flat. There's a lot of trees and thick stuff. Like it's, thick ponderosas that kind of mute the... Well, cottonwoods down here. It was in oh, the bottom, okay. in the yeah. very bottom. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just the, like, because you're on the ground, they're in a tree, the sound angle, you know? Like, if it's flat. But mm-hmm. then there's other places I've been where I literally got up on a ridge and I could hear a bird plain as day a half a mile away down there gobbling. So... You think water or dampness of the soil or something like that would absorb that better than maybe harder. I don't know. That might be. I think, <laughs> some, I think it all um, comes down to line of sight. I don't, I don't know wow. that it's like, obviously if it's a rock wall, it's probably going to echo more, but like, I think it's line yeah. of sight when it comes down to it, because there's a lot of trees and I'm a kind of below him in the tree at an angle. And I can't hear very well, but like in other places that I've been, above them and you can see down into the valley like you can hear them well this happened just yesterday to me you can hear them from a half a mile away so anyways i walked in there and um i knew which tree i knew exactly which trees they were in from the gobbling and i had seen where there was a bunch of turkey shit underneath you know a couple of roost trees the week before there's a little opening next to it and i i got close and it's about a hundred yards only from them roosted and i was like 
you know, I can't get very, like, this is dangerous right now, but I think they're going to fly down into this opening anyway. Cause it's like the open area from the trees. They just pitch down into. So I sat down there, goblin, goblin, goblin. And then all of a sudden one pitches down. I decided to make a hen yelp right when he pitched down, even though there's multiple birds, but landed over there out of sight. Then they all pitched down over there and they immediately completely shut up. Not a single gobble after they landed at all. Yeah. And and so I'm sitting there and I'm hen yelping and I look across the opening and then this Tom comes around and he's strutting in front of the opening at like 75 yards and then he disappears again. And I'm like, well, he's doing the whole thing where he's, he's knows that he can be seen by this supposed hen. She didn't come over, still got the flock over here. So then he left. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I waited there for like 15 minutes, no gobbles, no nothing. Can't hear much. And I'm like, all right, this I've, I've killed the turkey in here before by stalking them. This is the one that I stalked in that story a couple weeks ago. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to hop on the edge of this thick little line of, uh, you know, Hawthorne and stuff. And there's another divot back here. And I can go around that and hopefully like parallel them and pop up somewhere close to them. So I just look around those uh, Hawthorns and he's right there strutting at like 70 yards, just on the other side in this like little, little opening. And I'm like, oh shit, there he is. So I like got around right on the edge of the Hawthorns. There's nothing between me but open grass till the other side. And he's over there. So I can't really move much. And I start calling at him and he's not doing anything. He's just spinning, 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 right? He like, he's obviously got hands. He's not gobbling. He's not doing anything. He's just puffed up doing his thing and he's at 70 and i'm like man even if he starts coming over here there's nothing between us like he's it's gonna be kind of hard to pull off a shot because i got nothing to cover me and then he can look for that hen and so i call him again and that finally he's like goes over it a little bit behind a log and stuff and i can't see very well but he's just so so involved in strutting i'm like i can pitch down to this little five foot divot and probably cover ground and get up and shoot him but then i'm like thinking to myself he's got hens i don't know where they are that'd be risky and as I'm thinking this, I all of a sudden look like uh, he's kind of down to my left. I always, and I'm looking that way the whole time. Then I kind of look a little right straight across from me and there's a fucking Tom coming like <laughs> right at 40 yards. Was it, that was a different one? It was a different one. Oh shit. Yeah. So, so, uh, I'm, I'm frozen cause he came through this thick brush stuff. He, he was a subordinate Tom. And I just had called and scratched the ground enough where he was like, well, this other one's got these hens locked up. I'm going to check this out. So he comes over there, half strut, pops his head up, looking, walks, pops his head up, looks, looks, looks. And he's starting to look like he's getting nervous because he doesn't see anything. And he's probably at 35 now, 40, 35 yards. But I still have my gun to my left like I was going to shoot that way. And I haven't been able to move. So I like just slide the safety off if I have to swing and shoot. And then he starts walking along this bank and then he's got one little patch of grass that he's got to go around. So he turns and he's not out of sight of me, but he turns to face away from me. And it, as he did that, I saw my gun on him and he immediately turned around to look again because he saw something, but he wasn't looking directly yeah. at me. But, but at that point it was too late and I had my beat on him. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't crumple him. I actually had to shoot him again. I think my shot might've been a little bit off. Um, just like he might've gotten some of the pattern, but, uh, it's a damn shotgun. You need a new one. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I'm, I am shooting them <laughs> with pheasant loads. Um, <laughs> I'll send you my eight seventy. but anyway, so yeah, I jumped up and I, I had to go get them and all the other birds flew off and everything. But, um, and he ended up having three quarters of a van only. 
So he must have been getting the crap kicked out of him by like that other one or some other birds because there were the 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 feathers were starting to grow back. But yeah, he had gotten them ripped out, or maybe a coyote tried to grab him or something. Question: I I don't know if this is true, but is that like that could be maybe a two year old bird? And don't they go through like a molting cycle with their fan though, and they lose those feathers and regrow them? You know, I know they do that. I don't know. I know they do that that when they from a Jake to a Tom, but. I'm not sure yeah. they do it after that. I mean, he he was mature. Yeah, he had an eight inch beard. He had three quarter inch spurs. I don't um, know. So I don't know. Anyways, I got that's the long turkey story of me actually getting one. Um, so I felt pretty good about that um, after having a hard opening weekend. And then uh, then I took Maddie out two mornings in a row and two mornings in a row, we had the craziest Turkey action you could ask for, but we were hunting this pasture behind our friend's place. And they would always come over the hill through the sage and just hang up at 80 yards. Cause they can see everything. And they're like, we got our decoys there in the, the blind. And they just literally come over, strut around for 20 minutes and then leave when nothing comes over to them. So that was super frustrating, but we saw three different times and they were goblin going on the whole time. Um, what were her fun. thoughts on that? She liked what it. Was her emotions, yeah. At she at the first morning we were there, she was nervous because they came in hot, and she was like thinking, you know, she's about ready to shoot one of these things, and she's yeah, kind of yeah. nervous about that. But then, uh, then it was just like actually. So I I didn't tell the one part is that morning two hens came in at like three yards from our blind and walked past us, oh, which was nice. pretty cool. And then they went over to the other side and that Tom that was with them skirted around our decoys. And he got to about 30 at one point. And I'm like, you know, get your gun up. But she, she kind of moved a little too fast at the wrong time. And he saw it. So I spooked and he was going to run back up the hill, but I got him. I got calling at him again and finally like turn him around. But he knew something was weird and he came back strutting to those other hens, but he made like even wider circle. So like he, <laughs> uh, he didn't like it big time too. But no, she thought it was real fun and stuff. And then after the next morning when that all happened again and we didn't get anything close, then she's like, okay, I'm kind of ready to shoot one of these things. <laughs> you know, I think getting a little like worked into it and now a little bit of that like chip on your shoulder, turkey thing, maybe, yeah. I don't know. I feel like you got to have a little bit like they're winning. They're, they know you're here yeah. and they're winning. And so they're looping around you and it's they're getting deterred. And it's like, all right, I'm ready to shoot one of these yeah. little birds. Can't be that hard, right? Yeah. No, well, it is sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean, like that's why I was saying to her, you might feel like it's cheating being in a blind in a place where they're at every morning and you have decoys, but they showed us. I was like, you know, they they, <laughs> yeah. they kind of act different yeah. when something's weird, and um, they're good at staying alive. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so then yeah, I hunted more, been on birds, and then yesterday was the craziest one, I think. Um. I located this bird across a block of private up on this mountain at about a half mile away. And the first time I went to go get him, he was gobbling his head off. Like I wasn't calling or anything. I hiked like three quarters of a mile around on the other side and climbed like 600 feet. And then he wasn't where I thought he was. He was across another sliver of private, but still on public, but I would have had to go over the top of this mountain. So I was like, Oh, screw that. I walked around the other side. He's still gobbling across this, drainage at a half mile away just like mocking me and i can see he's on public now but i look at the map and to get there i got to go to the bottom of this canyon walk up i have to gain 1200 feet of elevation to get to him 
and then it like to get there is up a straight canyon face like you know sheep hunting kind of stuff yeah yeah <laughs> and so i i was like well you know i know nobody's gonna be up there so screw it and he's gobble if he keeps gobbling like that i probably can just ambush him um so it took me about 45 minutes to get up there and it was a super hard hike picked up a antler along the way um and i got on him and then uh i pretty much uh back and forth called with him and chased those things continued to go up the mountain just keep gaining keep gaining um and then there's like boot prints in the snow up there fresh i'm like right near this turkey i'm like are you kidding me is someone really hunting this turkey up here so i was like kind of nervous i didn't want to go make a move but i hadn't heard anybody calling at them and every time i called the turkey would gobble so i'm like if this guy's ahead of me you should have killed this thing by now like i'm not that far from this turkey and uh so i backed off and then i kept calling and he started firing up and getting above where the boot tracks were so i went around and got above him and now we're getting real close and then i see the boot tracks are there again I'm like, is this guy seriously hunting this turkey? And they're in the snow, right? We're in snow now, like patchy snow. And so I'm like, all right, I'll hang back if he went ahead. And then I'm calling, and then I get this gobbler to within. I never saw him, but when I went and checked the tracks afterward, he was within 60, 70, but like right over the rise. And I didn't want to try to stalk in on him because I was worried this other dude was hunting him. Ends up, they take off over the top of the dang mountain. I, I gained 2000 feet. They, they went over the top into three foot of snowpack and down the other side. I like, I don't know what they were doing. And the, the, the other guy was dogging them. No, pushing no. Them. So what happened was that was a bear hunter. Oh, I, I saw him after the turkeys disappeared. I glassed him up down there. He had blaze orange and a rifle. Yeah. He wasn't calling at him or anything. In fact, he was probably a half hour, hour ahead of me. So I probably would have. This has got to be first opening day, of opening weekend of bear. Uh, it was the same. Op- Turkey and bear were the same opener. So last oh, weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. it was stupid because I, I like chase these turkeys up 2000 feet. Like I've never thought they would do that. And then they went into a snow covered north face of a mountain. I like, I don't know where they're going or what they're doing. And I didn't scare them. Like they were gobbling the time. Well, he could have, he could have been scaring them as he moved up or some, something, you know, turkeys do not weigh a lot. So walking on snow is not much of an effort to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did he say when you said you were turkey hunting? I never talked, I never talked to him. I I glassed him up. He was probably like 200 yards away from me. I just snuck back out of there. Um, and then he actually kind of started hunting me, I think, because on the other side of the mountain, I was doing some cutting and yelping to try to see if I could strike up another one. And then one time behind me, I heard, like trying to get a shot gobble out of me. I was like, okay, there's, yeah. that's not an owl doing that. And I just like left quickly after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, so that was crazy. And uh, the hiking portion of it, like, Man, it beat me up. I haven't gone. That was like an elk hunt, honestly. It was like 2,000 feet up in one mile. Um, yeah. And my legs were kind of starting to get ready for it from hunting already this season, but I was still be- definitely the biggest jaunt I've gone on this year yet. Uh, so that kind of goes into what we're talking about with hiking. But before we get there, uh, I know you didn't do any hunting this past weekend, but what were you up to real briefly? I was working. 
like a working man, you know, you work on a farm, raise fish, you got to work. No, I'm kidding. I, I was working, but my time off, I, um, at Turkey, I talked about on earlier episodes, um, I set out on an ex- excursion to mount the thing. Almost every single feather of the thing in a frame. So it's pretty much, I made this frame shadow box type type deal. And um, I guess before this, I actually, when I harvested the bird, I had this intention in mind. I saw this Instagram reel. I'll probably post this on our Instagram. Um, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to save every single feather of this thing. So I took out the breast, legs, wing meat, and I cracked off the wings. I saved the wings. I skinned out the whole bird. I skinned out the bird and everything and laid it out. I took, tried to save every feather possible. Um, and then through, through the week, I eventually clipped every feather and kind of got a game plan of what I wanted to do. Um, I pretty much took the fan like I usually do with my other fans. I pluck every single fan feather. I think there's 19 in a fan. 18, I think. 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. I, so I lay, I, I, I numbered them all. I think there was nine and nine and then there was a 10. My 10 was my center one. And then there's those next fan feathers. So I labeled all those. I labeled my wings. And then I um, uh, silicone them all together on a sheet of paper. And then I went down and did all the neck. I siliconed all the feathers down the neck at the back. And then from there, after it dried, I took that whole fan conglomerate I took. I moved it to the side. And then I started layering the back and the breast and all those feathers. And yeah, for that, I pretty much took this spray adhesive on a cardboard backing. That's what I was going to use the backing of the shadow box. And I just sprayed layers and then I just layered the feathers, layered the feathers, layered the feathers the whole way till I got down. And then I'd finished out the box by adding some plexiglass and stuff. But it was, yeah, it was cool. Those contour feathers, like, I don't know. What do you, what's, what's your thoughts on this question? Do you think, what do you think of a Western bird compared to an Eastern bird? I just... This was what uh, about before you say any, before you say anything. I just want to say like uh, this was probably the prettiest tom turkey bird I've ever shot in my life. This bird, I don't know why, what the colors popped or something. I'm like, this is the prettiest bird I've ever shot in my life. I think Miriam. I, I think Miriam's or Rios are the prettiest. Okay, this is my analogy. <laughs> They're like a blonde. Uh, oh, okay. Let's see. Go back here. A Miriam's bird is like a blonde female, right? It's white margins, like flashy. That's what it gets you going, you know? <laughs> but an Eastern bird is like a brunette, you know? She might not be as flashy, but she's still hot, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, they're both as pretty, but one's not as maybe flashy. That was my analogy. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I, uh, I think that the the Rios and kind of the Marians, but the Rios that uh, those those feathers above the tail fan on their back, and the um, what are this the secondaries or their speculum uh, like inside the wing close to the body? They got that green yeah. sheen to it and stuff. I love it. Like it's, well, Easterns have that too. 
And it, well, they got feathers, a little more bronze. The Rios have a little more bronze chestnut too in it. True. Time. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Doing that fan, it made me pay a lot of respect to that animal because I'm like, how, oh, each one is like so colorful. Oh yeah. And then it was cool because I had to each one of those feathers I clipped, and then I stripped the down off of each one, yeah. and then I clipped small. Um, but I'm like, it's just cool how it's layered with that waterproof top. And then you got down and all that to keep them warm. And I'm like, well, it, it's, it's, it's just cool how yeah. the feathers. I have a hard time. Way. I have a hard time throwing away any parts of turkeys, even though I need to, cause I just have too many of them, but yeah, <laughs> they're I, so well, pretty. Yeah. Every single piece. Yeah. Every single piece of every feather off of that thing is really cool. Yeah. But, um, anyways, yeah, they taste good. yeah I, I threw that thing away. Cause I, I was at my parents' house last weekend and I threw that thing away and all I had is like a skeleton of the inside. Yeah. Dad's like, that's all you got left. I'm like, yep. I mean, I saved all the feathers. All I got left is skin. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But, but we, but we yeah. uh, we've gone a half hour already without getting to our subject here, which is hiking. We're talking With about hiking. the hard, <laughs> the hard hikes and, uh, I think we're telling the stories about these are two hikes. So we talk a lot about hunting. This is going to be not about hunting, even though we're so related, but um, you know, it's our podcast. So we can do what we want. Uh, exactly. And it might be interesting for people to hear some stuff about like everybody talks about the hunt and everything. And that's great. And we love talking about that, but there's peripheral subjects that aren't necessarily hunting, but are involved in hunting that a lot of people don't talk as much about. And also, we like to do hikes that don't involve hunting at all sometimes, as long as they're really hard and somewhere pretty. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think as outdoors men and women, you know, we appreciate hunting because the animals take us into these places. We're pretty much just hiking, but we hopefully come out with a carcass on our back, you know? Especially in the summer, in the summer or when there's an off-season time where there's no hunting, you know? Good to go on a hike. So, uh, you want to go uh, first with yours, or do you want me to talk about mine? Yeah, I'll lead her off here. All right. Let's see. My, I would say, good story or hard hike was Kings Peak in Utah. So, it's Kings Peak, a little background, is the highest peak in uh, Utah. And I think it's like 13 something it's just below 13.8 it's just below 14,000 uh, feet but I mean this usually wouldn't be a hard hike because I think round trip it's about 28 miles I've seen some people day hike it or day trip it but our situation was where we're going to do this with a group I think it was 20 plus people and we were going to do kind of a three-day thing bring some fish poles there's a lot of fishing little ponds up there that I mean I've raised fish for and we've stocked by airplane and stuff so um we set out to hike that and the whole trail like I said it was 28 miles it's 5200 feet elevation gain from bottom to top and uh and do it in three days we'll see but also another thing a little caveat there is we did it in the end of June and like Utah would be right now, that whole trail probably would be inaccessible. You could probably drive to the head and then walk and you'd probably be hitting snow. Because right of now. the snow year they have? Because yeah. of the snow. Yep. So 
we thought, you know, end of June would be a good time because the snow pack would melt. And we were watching kind of the trail forums and things, but we're like, let's set off and do this. So we uh, drive in there because I think Kings Peak, you got to drive. It's kind of the boundary of Wyoming and Utah and then kind of pass into Wyoming before you go into Utah. And so we drive up up there and start hiking. We're, like, again, we're kind of overnighting. So we have our backpacks with our tents and all that stuff. And we get there early in the morning and the one day and um, start hiking. So we hike all the way up there. And, you know, we're a big group because when you're group hiking, I feel like you try to stay slower. You know, you're it's like a wolf pack. You're only as strong as your weakest link. So you kind of try to push everybody along, you know, and move everybody up. Whoever's struggling, you're helping them go along. And in this first day, our goal is to hike. I think it was only like eight miles to our base camp was kind of the base of, of the higher peaks of where to hike to in Kings Peak. And we set out in this one <laughs> We had all, I guess, going back, but we had all sorts of um, kind of cohorts together. We had older, older people, middle aged twenties, to all the way to young kids in there, very, like very young kids, you know, still in high school, the middle school, and um, we just putz along. And this one kid, headphones in, and just went <clears throat> and kind of got separated from the group and went ahead and you know as any hiking you're following a trail but there's also trails that go other which ways and so we got to this confluent or a little little veer in the road and i was talking to the other guy that was kind of in charge as well and he's like we're so-and-so so everybody was taking lunch and we had to set out it long ways going back long ways on on a King's Peak is 34 miles around, round trip. It's usually around this Henry Forks Lake, I think it is. And so I'm like, shit, she took the long way. She took the wrong way around, I bet. I'm like, you set up that way. We go this way. So we got a lost kid now and we're not even to base camp. We're probably about five or so miles in. And so we set out, we split up, set out. I hike all the way around. I tell him, I'm like, don't look for me. I'm going to hike this. I'm just going to clear this road out. You, you guys keep, keep going, clear that other way out. I'm like, I'll meet you at, at base camp, which we kind of knew exactly just based on what lake we were going to hike to. But, um, so we hiked, I hiked all the way around. I took some nice photos. It was kind of a nice, nice hike. There was moose. I don't know. It was, it was nice. There was no kids. Maybe I was looking for no kid. <laughs> I was looking for a lost kid, but I found a bunch of wildlife instead. Um, but yeah, there was uh, some moose, a little cow and calf that were just kind of strolling through and stuff. And, and then um, I remember I took a picture of this old mining camp. I don't know what took place up in Kings Peak, but there was this old mining, must've been mining, um, a uh, little outpost there, but so I hiked all the way around, met them at base camp. They were, they were already there. They found her. She was only just a little bit up the, the right trail, which was okay. But, but we settled in 
had base camp and everybody was already tuckered out and we only went eight miles in and backpack. So I think the plan for the morning was pretty much to, um, I think it was only like eight of us out of the 20 that were going to set up to summit to summit you from base camp where most people do it's 12 miles. It's six up six down. And the last three quarters of a mile of the hike is 3000 feet of elevation gain. And at this point too, like we were looking up there and there was a lot of snow. We haven't hit snow yet, but we're like, it might be tough. And as we were up there, it's like no one else is up here. And this is a pretty popular hike that usually people are at that base camp spot where we spent the time. And, um, and a lot of people just sat back and were going to fish and stuff like that. So we slept and got our crew together in the morning to set out. Cause we're like, we're going to need all the daylight to go up there. And well, I mean, we've packed, everybody had snowshoes, things like that to, uh, try to tough these conditions. But <laughs> one thing I do remember though, is in the evening at camp is seeing those mountain goats. Like it was sheer cliff to our back, just sheer cliff with like maybe a few stairs on top and just watching those mountain goats, you know, thousand, 2000 feet above you, just like walking around that sheer cliff. I'm like, how the hell do those things do that? <laughs> but a little fun fact there is the leading predator of a mountain goat is a golden eagle. <laughs> and now I can see why, because all you got to do is push that thing off the hill and there's a free meal for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's some crazy videos of that online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so hiking morning, woke up, had some coffee. So Mormons don't really enjoy hot liquid. So I was kind of off in my own little thing and I was with a big kind of Mormon group. And so I was having my coffee and then all of a sudden this small bull moose just starts walking like right in front of my camp which was pretty badass to wake up to. <laughs> but so hopefully it was going to be a good morning. We we got everybody together um, and we set out on this hike. And I mean, we weren't even a mile and a half up to it. Kind of where base camp is, it was just kind of a basin. It was easy hiking all the way up there. But now we're light. We only got day packs on. And the first hill was already just snow. And I mean, I don't even know what elevation we were at right now, but we got a lot more to go. We're a mile into it and there's, you know, 11 left, 12 round trip. So we started heading up this steep hill, which was mainly rock, but snow, but we could kind of go around to get on, to get out of the snow and get up there. And the snow was even even not too bad at this point because it was still frozen, but we started heading up this hill and, um, yeah, it was even hard to get everybody up the hill. But once we got up this hill, we looked over in that basin because how it goes up, it goes up and there's just one big basin here with kind of a big steep part to our right. And I'm like, that is all snow. And there's supposed to be a trail here. <laughs> like how, you know, okay, we got 11 miles left and we're, we don't know where the trail is. All, all, all we got to do is follow this basin and 
I was gun ho and we were patient. I'm like, let's just, all right, let's just do it. I got my mapping service. I could kind of see where the trail is. So we just kind of head off in the snow. And at this point, like I said, it was early and it was still frozen. So we kind of booked it around the edge of this basin. And I'm like, we're getting closer and closer, but we, we got a lot of dang snow. And at this point, we looped around this one hill and started climbing up this kind of valley. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure way the hell up there is where we've got to go. And another group must have set out a little earlier um, than we did in the morning. And they were already on their way back. They said, we tried to summit and we couldn't. There's too much snow. So at this point, half of the group split off and kind of went back they're like i don't think we can do this you know we still got a lot left to go we've been reading about this it's three thousand feet elevation gain the last part and if all that's going to be in snow like that's going to be tough so i'm dedicated enough <laughs> with younger adult like younger kids from high school and then some adults were like let's do this you know and so I'm like, all right, let's do this. So we'd set out up the hill, up trying to find where a trail is. You know, we left 11 miles yet to go on the hike, and we didn't see where the trail is actually. So we're making our own trail at this point, just through snow. And um, we head up, kind of following my map here. I'm like, okay, we head up. I'm like, let's go to that bear spot. I think that last spine is kind of the hike and um it was kind of cool because we hit that little saddle where all these ridges kind of met all these finger ridges and right there again there's 40 yards away there's a mountain goat <laughs> <laughs> um but then we look up and right there that's that last uh 0. 0.7 of a mile three quarters of a mile, 3000 feet elevation gain. And you're just going through snow. And at this point it's later in the day, snow is melting, just slushy. You just pushing right through the snow and the snow packs probably still, I don't know, a few feet, you know, deep. Um, so I think we put our snowshoes on earlier, but snowshoes and all, and just started trekking. And I remember, I'm like, that was pretty damn steep. But I remember I'm like, okay, everybody, like 20, let's take 20 steps, stop, take a break, 20 steps, stop, you know, it's three quarters of a mile. Just, just uh, subdivided is the way <laughs> to do it. Um, and yeah, then, so we lost the last um, few people and only three of us opted to keep going. They're like, we'll just stay here. You guys do it. So I'm like, all right, because one of the girls in the group was starting to get elevation sickness and stuff. And in this group, we had doctors and PAs and all that stuff. So um, luckily, one of the guys that was going to go, he's like, well, I'll stay back. You guys go do it. Um, I got medicine and stuff in my pack. So we'll medicate her up and actually get a little get her a little better. But so we set up off this hill 20 steps at a time they were looking back at me 20 steps is too damn much <laughs> and i'm like all right we're almost there so i i kind of book it up to the top and it yeah it was rough 
yeah, it was just the snow. It was it's not a hard hike, but the snow just made it terrible. Like, there's people that day trip this hike. They day trip this, mm-hmm. you know, hike and go run up, trail around the bottom, because you can pretty much trail around the bottom. And then it's steep stuff, and you got to uh, go across some scree to get up there. But so I just book it up to the top, um, take a few pictures. And kind of shelter out of the wind while I'm waiting for them guys to go up the spine to the top. But the two others that we set out with made it up to the top too. So three out of the 20 some actually summited. And then when I was looking at the book, I wrote down whatever, June, whatever. And I was looking, I'm like, there hasn't been anybody up this hill this whole year (laughs) since like fall. Because like we did, we met that one group and they're like, we're not going. Yeah. There's a lot of time left and there's, you know, by the time you get up there, it's going to be dark. Like it's going to be getting dark when we get back. And I'm like, I don't know. There's too much will. It probably gets you in a bad situation. Oh, yeah. But So we hiked it. And then the fun part, actually, the, the high of this was actually uh, skiing on the way down. We used our <laughs> snowshoes, and if you, like, wade back a little bit, the top, the bottom of your snowshoe, you could, like, ski down that hill. So instead of running that spine, we kind of just skied off of that side of that hill and used the snow to our advantage at that point. But I'm we su- got down to yeah. other group. I'm surprised there weren't people that were just skinning up that backcountry skiing still in June. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that would have been, that would have been, I, I guess you would have did it, but you would have did all that just for one little high. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so we met up with our group and that one girl was still not doing the greatest. And I heard through the forums, there was a shortcut. Shortcuts are usually not, cause we were running low on daylight and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm pretty sure we could jet off that cliff. And just jump and you'll be down of, real quick. Instead of going all the way around, I'm like, see, we just did that. All right. And um we did it. So we went across this kind of basin flat and we found we tried to do this shortcut way and it was steep. It was steeper than what we just did. Holy shit. And snow. So luckily I got long legs, so I would just kind of make a trail in front of everybody and try to make like a stair step all the way down. And we just slowly went away from that. And then, yeah, some of the people in the group started getting kind of like motion sickness or like that depth stuff. And they were getting faint and I'm like, God <laughs> shit. Like if we can just get down to that one first hill that we climbed originally, we're like almost there, but everybody powered through and we uh, got there by dark. <laughs> Dang. And then back, I guess. But yeah, that was just kind of a story of, I guess, timing. You know, don't try to get yourself into too much. We just get, we did, we didn't bite off more than we could choose, but it was a situation that could have not been pretty. But yeah, running a thin margin on that one, huh? Yeah, for sure. But all right, boogieing into yours, taking too much time. Yeah, well, I mean, good stories take some time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about the hike I just did last, uh, February. I went to Maui, uh, with my girlfriend 
visiting my sister who was living there at the time as traveling nurse and um we uh i i was looking for some adventure stuff to do and uh mount haleakala is uh really big mountain on Maui. There's like two, two main, I don't know what the other ones are called. There's like two main high points on the mountain. Uh, there's like two lobes of the mountain or the, the Island. I mean, um, and Haleakala, obviously Maui or Hawaii is all volcanic built. So these are, these are all volcanoes at some point they were. And Haleakala goes from sea level to 10,023 feet. And, uh, I don't know how many miles, but I think Maui's like, 70 miles across and this this portion's like where the mountain is it must be as a crow flies i'll bet you it's like 25 miles from the ocean to the top of this 10,000 foot peak nuts the drive up there is crazy but we decided we wanted to do a, a overnight backcountry hike in there and um because uh you know the it's in a national park so haleakala national park um, and, and it's a pretty popular thing to do. So the campsites are on uh, you know, reservation basis and we, we got, we got one, but it was, uh, the furthest one away from the trailhead. So it was a nine mile one way hike down 3000 feet into this crater. And it's a pretty wild landscape up there. We got up there and I, I brought my, you know, hunting Kuyu pack and all my gear and stuff. And, um, I kind of carried all the camp gear and everything and, and Maddie carried, you know, uh, some clothes and food and water and all that kind of stuff. I was like, you know, I, I hike a lot. I, I carry things in my back quite a bit, so I should be all right. Brush um, out the shoulder. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and it, it definitely could have gotten cold up there too. So we packed a little heavier just in case with, you know, 20 degree bag, couple of, uh, you know, different different layers in case it really got cold and and the top of the mountain's pretty crazy because the one side is like it looks like the the landscape of mars it's just this volcanic rock gravel dust red and gray and it's a desert and then literally not nine miles away on the other side it is um a lot of rain drops out there constantly and it's a rainforest pretty much and uh, Hawaii is uh, the state of Hawaii has like something crazy, like 80% of the ecotypes of the world all within like the state. So, I mean, like right there, boom, you got desert, then to rainforest. Whoa, Mike fell to rainforest all within, you know, a few miles there. And you're literally going through different like ecotypes as you're hiking, like every, every mile or so. So we, we started dropping down this trail. And, um, you know, the way in isn't too bad because you're going down 3,000 feet. Which kind of, it's a little hard on the knees, but like, obviously going downhill isn't as hard as going uphill. Even though I prefer to go uphill just because downhill makes me achy because of the joint thing. And and so we hike down and we take a couple breaks. We're seeing all these, you know, really cool things. It's transitioning from this desert you know, arid landscape into kind of like a, a more semi-arid with grasses and stuff. Started to see different types of wildlife. They have the, the Nene is an endangered goose species endemic to Hawaii. And they're up there. They live in this volcanic crater, more on the um, tropical side of the crater. So we started to see a few of those. They got chucker running around up there and pheasants. It's kind of weird that were introduced. Like pheasants like we have here? 
Yeah, the ringneck pheasants and chucker. So the, we're seeing all those kind of things up there. And, you know, it's mostly birds. Like, there are no native mammals to Hawaii. So, like, um, really cool stuff. And we're hiking along. We take a nice little break about eight miles. or Not eight miles. About six miles in. Launch, nap, get to our campsite. Um, set up camp. And it's a beautiful evening and everything. You can actually see the ocean, too, from the bottom of this crater. Because you can definitely see the ocean from the peak. There's nothing around. But, like, in the crater, too, you can look down at the ocean. It's, like, at that point, like, 7,000-some people below you. It's nuts. Really cool. So we set up camp in our camp spot and uh, have a nice evening and everything. And then it starts to rain. And uh, it, it rained and was windy and stormed from, like, 9 p 8 p.m. the night before. And we woke up and it's just torrents, like just downpour. And it's not going to stop. And trying to, you know, it's going to be a long hike out of here. And so we're like, you know, we're going to pack up in the rain. It's just get, That's just, just what's going to happen. So we packed up in the rain, not very comfortable. Everything's soaked. So you know how when you're hiking in, you have your food and water and you're like, oh, it's fine because the hike out, you're going to be lighter because you eat food and <laughs> drink water. Well, the rain's soaking up all the gear kind of like nixed that because all everything's wet now and has water weight but anyways we start hiking out and i don't know it was maybe a mile half an hour of hiking from that campsite where it didn't stop raining at the campsite but we just hiked out of the rain because it's like just that area just has a cloud sit over it and rain like crazy it's where the water dumps out and then on the other side of the crater it's a desert it's, it's crazy and we hike out of that and there's like a rainbow and everything's steaming and stuff. And it's just super cool. And we're seeing all these, you know, nae geese running around and whatnot and having a good time. And we get, you know, most of the hike done until the end. And the last pitch up is like 2,500 feet and, you know, like a couple miles, not even. And I'm like, you know, okay, this is going to be the hard part here. I'm, I'm like kind of sore, but not really tired yet. And, um, start hiking up that thing and start slowly getting more tired, slowly get more tired. Had to sit down a couple times. And finally I'm like starting to feel really not good, like kind of almost sick even. And I'm like, ah, oh, I think I need to eat, you know, like we didn't eat much breakfast that morning. Cause it was a pouring rainstorm. And I wasn't trying to get out the little, you know, camp grill or the propane <laughs> yeah. stove and everything. I'm like, we're just, we're just going to gr- eat a granola bar and go here. And so, um, I don't know, I got probably 50 pounds on my back. We're hiking up pretty steep stuff. And I mean, we're on trail. It's like not bad footing, but it's just, it's uphill. And, um, so I'm like, we need to stop. I need to eat and take a little nap here for like 10 minutes. And so we did. And luckily we didn't have like a huge schedule to get out of there. Um, and we keep pushing on and finally we get to like the last mile starts to get really tough because I mean, I'm coming from Montana, which in Missoula is, is really not that high elevation where I live. It's like 3,500 feet in Missoula, which, you know, some people might comment on that a little bit when they come out here, like the elevation, which I don't, I don't know that I ever feel that I could definitely feel it going from Illinois to like, um, Boulder, Colorado. Like if you're not used to it, like being at 5,000 feet, you can kind of be like, Oh yeah, air's a little thinner here. Nowadays, being in the mountains and hiking a bunch, I don't think I really start feeling that until you get like about 10, 10,000 feet is when I really start to feel like, oh yeah, it's kind of harder to walk. But we were just at sea level for a few days. I mean, we're on the beach. 
for a few days. It's the thickest oxygen you can get. And now, you know, thinking about the day before we hiked in nine miles, we're hiking out now. It's like 18 mile round trip. We're at mile 17. I'm pretty tired. And now the air is getting thinner. We're at like 9,000 feet again. And those kind of added up and I started to really hurt. And, um, just taking a bunch of breaks. Maddie's doing great. Like, I think, I feel like she's waiting on me all the time, even though after the fact she said that she was really tired too, but I get to the point where I'm kind of having to go into like race mode, you know, like back when we were running in college where it's like time to like, just push through. It's like, turn on, you know, open the gas valve all the way. Like, I mean, I started to get into just like focusing on my form. I had my trekking poles too. I was like focusing on my form and like breathing in and out, in and out and like counting my, you know, like keeping on a rhythm yeah. on my breaths and pushing like air, like, you know, and never get to where it's just like zombie mode. It's like, yeah, all right, just whatever, just going. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like that's what happened is I was hurting and hurting. And finally the last time that I sat down, I like could see the end of the trail about half a mile maybe. And I was like, dude, we're, we're, I'm not, I'm not going to stop after this. Like, I'm just going to keep going. And people are passing. Like I haven't had this happen to me in a while. People were passing on the way down. Cause a lot of people hike down about one mile to this overlook and go back. So it's like people, you know, walking down in their sneakers, you know, and they're yeah. all like, you know, you can do it. You're almost there. People are saying that to me. Cause like, that's how bad a shape I'm looking like they're like trying <laughs> to help me out. They're like, it's like when you're finishing a race, everybody's like, you can do it, push through. Yeah. And I'm like thinking to myself, you guys have no idea, like how far we just came from. Like, but yeah, thanks. Like, and I got to the top and one guy was like, Oh, it looks like a hard hike, man. Like how, how far did you go? And we told him, we're like, we just came from like, cause you can see it. We're like, we came from that side this morning. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. You know? Um, but we got to the top and I like, you know, kind of like fell over when we got to the car and put the pack on the ground and everything. And I was like, Maddie, that was awesome. And she's like, I was expecting you to be totally grumpy and everything. I'm like, no, that's like, that stuff gets me jacked up to do like that kind of like hard stuff. When you, when you finish it, you feel so good about it. And I couldn't walk well for like a few days after that. Um, but, no pain, no game, right? Yeah. It's like doing a marathon or something. And it was, it was sweet though. I mean, um, yeah, that was one of the harder hikes I've done. And I think that uh, I underestimated it a little bit just because of the elevation at the end, uh, like the thin air. I think that really played a part in it. But, um, I mean, carrying a 50-pound pack for 18 miles in two days is not nothing either. Yeah. Uh, do it hunting all the time, but you're not going nearly as far when you're hunting. And you f I feel like I have different energy when I'm hunting just because, like, what you're doing and the goal and you're focused on something more. Um but yeah, it was, it was a super great adventure on that, uh, overnight. Um, uh, and I really just a side note, Maui blew away my expectations. I was kind of expecting it to be like super, like just relaxed touristy vibe. You can definitely find that there, but you can do a lot of stuff on Maui. That's like really adventurous and kind of feel like you're by yourself. And a lot of things that will actually kill you like in the ocean and on the mountain. So like, it's definitely not a tame environment. And I, I like that. It's pretty wild. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a pretty hard hike and it, it was, it was a long one too at the end there. And I think we looked back and I can't believe it, but it actually took us about the same time to come back out as it went to go back down. I think we were doing a lot more like sightseeing on the way down and stuff like that. But I thought for sure that we were going to take like two more hours to climb out of there. And we actually did it in almost the same amount of time. 
yeah. which maybe I should have taken more breaks. But sometimes you just got to power through. Like when we were packing your bear out, that last yeah. half mile or mile, we're like, let's just keep going. Like, don't don't sit down. So no, you don't want to feel. You keep you. You want to keep feeling pain. You don't want to feel that like, ooh, like this is nice. You just keep grinding till you're done. Otherwise, it's going to be even worse. A body in motion stays in motion. Right there. I mean, yeah. once once you sit down and you start to relax, you're, I feel like your muscles kind of like leave the go mode. And it takes a yeah. lot more to get yourself back into it. But, yeah, so those are two really, really hard hikes for both of us that weren't involved with hunting. But, um really cool experiences let's, and stuff. But let's maybe go into like what we learned, maybe some preparation or something. That's what I was like going to talk in, about. Yeah. So, so hikes, those are two, yeah. two hikes that were, um, well, they were kind of similar, but kind of different. Uh, one was on a tropical Island paradise. Yours was in Utah. Uh, Alpine paradise. All right. All <laughs> um, right. I was going to say, shit, plenty of people go to Utah. Great place. Oh, yeah, it is. I'm just saying they're, they're different different environments. You were, you were higher altitude than what I was. Yeah. You were an up and down. I was a down and up. Yeah. Um, yeah. You had yeah. snow. We did not. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, we got a little bit different stuff, but there's probably there's probably things that are really similar. How we got through it, how we prepared, and things like that, and then there's probably some things that were unique to our I'd, situations. Um, I'd say the one thing, I mean, preparedness, you know, to take home a little message is always elevation. Um, at this point, I lived at seven thousand feet elevation. I three times a week, I woke up, played basketball, and I ran every day. And then I hunted. So I was in pretty good shape usually at that point. Um, but even being in good shape, you got to think, like you said earlier, 10,000 feet, you usually can feel it. I feel like that's always a thing. You feel it at 10 and it's almost like increments of two. At 10,000, you feel it. You're still not hurting per se. But then at 12, you're hurting worse. 14, it's really hitting you. And I mean, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Because, I mean, when you're at five to seven, maybe not eight, you're still okay. It's just elevation. I feel like at eight, you realize it, though. You uh, realize it. it yep. This all depends, too. Like Ryan was where saying, where from? are you coming from? If you're coming from sea level, eight is going to feel pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think they say... Like if you travel to a place, I think they say it takes three three days for your body to adapt. Yeah. So like or like to get a little bit more acclimated, you know, you not might not adapt. I think but. it takes I I'm totally out of my realm here, but I think it takes like a week or something for you to actually produce enough red red blood cells to be acclimated. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. But uh and you know, someone who knows more about that can correct me, but Yeah. Well, we didn't. I just say wherever you're hiking, just watch out your elevation. That could definitely sneak up to you. And then also, I mean, like your footing and stuff. You always got to think about the small stuff of when it comes to like shoes, snowshoes, preparedness in that situation. Because, I mean, if you don't have good shoes or 
preparedness with snow and stuff like that, that could make hiking a lot worse. Well, so that's something like that is just very basic that I feel like people don't drive home enough is when you're talking about hiking, your footwear is literally everything. Like if you want to spend any, and this goes for hunting too. The thing you should spend the most money on probably is your boots next to your like weapon. Yeah. I mean, I don't, but yeah. (laughs) Or not, not spend the, not spend the most money on just, but like, know know the most about like what what works for you. What Um, works for you. You don't have to spend a million dollars, but if that boot is durable and it works good for you, you use it. Yeah. And it, I mean, it doesn't need to be expensive. I can't tell you how many different types of footwear I bring whenever I go on things now, especially if you're like, if I'm going on a trip and I, I want to go on a jog or something, you bring, you bring, you know, city shoes, you bring running shoes, you bring hiking boots, you bring Chacos, you bring, you know, snowshoes, maybe you bring insulated boots, you bring waterproof muck boots, like footwear is a big deal. Um, even you here bring, in, in Missoula, yeah camp shoes moccasins exactly <laughs> crocs i don't do the croc dry, game but dry out your do feet. That. yeah um here in missoula i like the the m trail it's it's a notoriously icy trail because it's it's got that kind of like it it stays cold throughout the winter but then in the later part of the day it's west facing and so it'll like start to thaw a little bit and as soon as that sun dips it's like frozen again and it's people hike on it all the time so it's packed snow and i watched people go up there with like um this one one lady was wearing like these big like platform black rubber like laced up boots and she was like we were going up and we saw her and her boyfriend going up and she's having a hard time on the first switchback we're coming down she's literally sliding back down on her butt down the whole thing because she can't stand up i'm like yeah you're gonna want some yak tracks at very (laughs) least some boots with actual grip you know um i could I mean, not to get off topic, but this, yeah, footwear is important because I see I've seen people with tennis shoes on like Angels Landing or Rock. You got sand and stuff like that. It's like okay, you need an actual like leather sole boot or something with more traction. Otherwise, this should not be a death death defying hike, but you're making it because what you're wearing, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's super important is your footwear. Um, and I was wearing my new, uh, I got some cri- crispy Bricksaws last year because I finally bit the bullet because I've been going through so many pairs of boots, not like wearing through them and also like not liking them that great. And finally, I'm like, if I'm going to spend a lot of money on something, I'm going to spend them on really good boots. So I bought those. They're pretty high end boots, but they they were really good for the um, the hike in, in Maui on Haleakala. They were really good for that. Um, and... Uh, but like other times you might not need that. Like, like when I'm hiking around in more flat country or like out East on like, you know, broken country in Eastern Montana, that, that style of boot, I used to have those lowest Zephyrs that are like a military boot with a little bit more like flexibility in it. And like a more soft, like thick rubber sole. You can walk for days in those, but like when you're in the mountains with a rock, those things literally get chewed up yeah, or you don't have that weight. ankle support or if you're going through thick brush or deadfall like that's going to be hitting you and you don't have as much ankle like support on your you know uh sides of your feet yeah. but um so footwear huge being prepared for that um what about uh and then you know altitude 
You can't do much to prepare for altitude besides just being in good cardio shape where you're at already. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you could be a marathon runner at sea level, and you hop up the altitude, and it could kick your ass. So it's just just knowing that it might take a day or two or three days to prepare. Be, I mean, try to get yourself in good shape beforehand, but you yeah. know, just know it's going to hit you probably. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, having goals or breaking things up, like you were saying, hiking up yours, um, doing doing it in increments uh, really makes it mentally easier. I feel like I feel like that is really totally a mental thing because you're you're you'd be surprised at what your body can do. I mean, you, at the end of the day, your body did it. And I don't know that yeah. you actually needed to stop or that hey, many here, times here, at least. Here's the saying for you. They say the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. <laughs> That's the same thing. The only way to climb a mountain is one step at a time. Just focus on that. Inch by inch, inch by inch is a cinch. Mile by mile will take you a while. There you go. <laughs> My grandpa used to say that. Um, mm-hmm. so one part about my hike that was important was I know my body and I know that I need to be intaking calories big time and hydration. And it, for me, it's not even like, I've been aware of that for a while. I know that, well, you and me both, we're unlike our friends where we need breakfast. I need to eat oh, a big breakfast, breakfast in the morning. If I, don't eat, <laughs> yeah. if I don't eat right away in the morning, like. I don't think straight. I'm a little more cranky. I definitely can't do things physically that I would otherwise. That's one reason that on that hike in Haleakala, we, it was raining. So we didn't make a big breakfast and I just had a granola bar and went and um, I should have been eating more the whole time on the hike. Finally it hit me and I'm like, I know why I'm feeling like crap. I don't have enough food in me. Clark that. And so we sat down and I ate like, you know, an apple, two granola bars, a bunch of trail mix, stuff like that. And just sat there for like 10 minutes to let a little bit of start digesting. And then boom. And that, like in that situation, you want fast calories, you want sugar and easy stuff to digest that you're going to use right away. But like we were saying for the breakfast thing, I like eating dense stuff. I like eating potatoes, pancakes, sausage, because that's like that burning energy throughout the morning for you, you know? Yeah. Um, so know your body that way. And another note with the altitude, uh, you dehydrate way faster at elevation. Uh, I don't know. Some people might not know that if they don't do a lot of stuff out west or in the mountains. Um, some people might, but just the air being drier, you lose so much more water when you're at elevation. Like you need to drink twice as much as you think. Yeah, just to segue off of that is water availability. Like, how are you going to get your water at elevation, you know? You're yeah. in a situation in Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you don't have dang trees or water anywhere. That whole hike, right? We did at the campsite that was nine miles in. And I think there might have been one more spot. But, yeah, no, there's good five-mile stretch there where you 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 were screwed if you ran out of yeah. water. <laughs> or, or your high elevation. There's no dang trees. There's no rivers anymore. You're screwed. Yeah. Like you got to melt snow or something like that to get water. Oh, well, yeah. So where we got water were, were, um, they, they have made rain catchments up there for Mm -hmm. the campsites, but yeah, otherwise you would be just scooping up rainwater if it rained over there. But if you're on the desert side there, yeah, there's no water. 
You're you at the top of the mountain. You just hold out your tongue <laughs> and try to run fast. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, in your situation, you could have just ate snow, I guess, melted some snow. But um, yeah, know where your water's coming from, too. Know if you have to pack it or not. Uh, well, we made that mistake on our bear hunt right off the bat, which is really yeah. dumb. Episode one. Yeah. You can. Yeah, <laughs> we decided we decided to camp on top of a very steep spine ridge, and we didn't get water in the bottom. So the next morning we had to go down to get water because duh, there's not water on top of a ridge. But yeah. um, what else? Just so we went over like altitude, footwear, mental. Did we go over mental that much? A little bit, step by step. I just yeah. say know know your weather. I'll check all those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's inclement weather in certain scenarios, it could be bluebird skies down where you're at at five thousand feet. But if it's unstable um, atmosphere, it could be sleeting and snowing where you're headed. You know. You know the Uintas really get like that. I mean, um, did that that happened to us a little bit where we had that little like sleet storm yep. when we were elk hunting. Yeah, even, was, what was it, August? Yeah. When that happened to us, yeah. Yeah, and then even... Yeah, like, and it accumulated. Oh, yeah. And the few weeks before that, when I was scouting that area, this is at elevation, there would literally be... Yeah, I mean, anybody who's been in the Colorado, you know, 14ers and stuff knows this too. Like, get down. Everybody starting before dawn, before those thunderstorms blow up, because they happen really quick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, in the Uintas where we, I'd be hunt, scouting and hunting, it'd be like, you literally see a blink of a cloud and in about 10 minutes, you're in a hailstorm with lightning. It's like unbelievable. So yeah, know your conditions. Like, like I was saying with Haleakala, we knew it could potentially get pretty cold. So we brought puffies and, you know, rain jacket and stuff like that. And we used the rain jackets for sure. We didn't use the puffies. It actually didn't get as cold as we thought it might, but um, yeah, but then just, Get her done, I be, guess. I mean, be prepared. Be prepared for the worst. Settle for the sunny days, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this this isn't quite uh, quite the. This isn't a backpacking hiking podcast, but we uh, we do a lot of that to hunt, and we do that sometimes on our free time too. But I'm I'm sure people have like all these other tips and tactics and gear stuff that's a whole separate world from what we do we just like take our hunting gear and go (laughs) and put that to work on like these hikes (laughs) yeah um we like to number one number one hunt but then also in the summertime to get ready for hunting and or enjoy nature like everybody else we like to hike around in the hills yeah i think a big difference would probably be that people who just are hiking recreationally and don't do hunting stuff their gear is probably super more tailored to be lightweight and like light, comfortable. And light. what we're yeah. doing is like, yeah, yeah. I, I remember the one time we went shed hunting in Utah and you literally, we had us cast iron and a ukulele strapped on the backpack. <laughs> well, one thing I will say is I pack heavy. I always pack heavy. Yeah. If there, if there's some need for it, I'll throw it on my back. Yeah. By the way, I learned I learned that it's not pronounced when we were in Maui. It's not pronounced ukulele. 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 Yeah. Ukulele. Yeah. Yeah. We pronounce a lot of things incorrectly as Midwesterners, but um, yeah. So I guess that was uh, a couple hiking stories with a long uh, talking about kind of what was going on 
with them, and hopefully you guys learn something from that. I think the big take-homes would be the altitude thing is for sure. Never discount that, and also know know your body and your footwear is super important. Know your limitation. Don't hike with shitty shoes, and uh, don't um, uh, creep on uh, elevation. Well, you know, you know that might be uh, the know your limitations thing. Might be a good little teaser for. I don't know if we'll do it next week, but uh, we we need to have an episode about disaster about when trips went bad maybe because we didn't know our limitations <laughs> yeah exactly it's a good segue I, into being unprepared instead exactly. of prepared and i've got being a, in situations where we didn't know any better but now we've learned hopefully mm-hmm. i've got a couple stories about that one in particular that i'm planning on sharing i wonder if you do too but yeah i've had plenty <laughs> <laughs> all right well, well well, hopefully everybody enjoyed storied podcast. Um, we're going to open up an Instagram here within the next week. You're going to see the turkey mount on there. You're going to see our recipes on there. You're going to see little teasers on this podcast. You're going to have to hit the follow button somewhere, probably in the bio. And um, follow us on Instagram as well. But there you hopefully go. you enjoyed. Keep it real out in the woods. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Okay,